Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-616-4080. That's 800-616-4080. 800-616-4080. This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. George Rush St. Pierre says he is a free agent. The UFC says a little different. Ronda Rousey and the media layoffs at the UFC. So much to get into on this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd, joined by Sam Kaplan. And, of course, you've probably seen on social media that this is the last show for Sam Kaplan. So, Sam, let's just get this right out of the open. Explain to everyone what's going on. Well, I'm in a situation where I have a Monday through Friday job where I work 40 hours a week. And I guess I should go back. I want to preface everything by saying I'm not looking for any sympathy. I'm not trying to give a sob story. I know that a lot of people are in the same exact situation that I'm in, especially in the United States with the way the economy is. The reason why I'm giving everyone this explanation is not, again, not to get sympathy or to create a sob story. I feel like so many people have listened to this show and have supported this show over the last two years. I owe them an honest explanation. And working Monday through Friday, a -a 40-hour-a-week job, and then working two other jobs on the side, in addition to that, having a seven-month-old daughter, there really is not a lot of time for hobbies and things of that nature. And as much as I love doing the show and I'm going to miss – doing this show believe me and I'm still passionate about the sport as I've ever been doing the show itself was not a chore but finding the time to do the show was becoming a chore and very difficult and challenging and with a lot of family commitments and a lot of family expectations it was just getting impossible to find time to do the show yeah and uh you know first off i, I want to say sam uh i i think the last two and a half years it, it's been an honor for me to sit here and, and do the show with you and uh you know learn so well, much jason cut you off this will probably be the last time i get to cut you off or you never know but i could not have done two and a half years and a hundred plus shows unless i had you as the host everyone should know that jason has done the lion's share of the work on this show I kind of just showed up for an hour or two every Monday or Tuesday and got to talk MMA with everybody. Jason was the one who really did all the formatting, who handled all the technical 
aspects of this show. All I really did was punch a button on Skype and talk. Yeah, no, but I I appreciate what you were able to, you know, I think I speak for a lot of our listeners that uh, we learned a lot from a, about the business side of mixed martial arts. and But, you know, this show is, you know, obviously we're going to talk about some of the things going on uh, in MMA, of course, with George St. Pierre and, and the layoffs at the UFC and, and some other things, the World Series of Fighting. But we do want to open up for the listeners of this podcast to sit there and ask us questions. This, of course, this is the first time that we have ever done a live edition of the podcast. So I want you guys to check in there now. I, I also tease I had a little bit of announcement and – you know, and this is something that has been coming on for a long time. This is has nothing to do with, with Sam. It's it's something where I, I'm the type of person I put a lot on my plate, and uh, being uh, the CFO of Radio Influence, it, it comes with a lot of things that have to get done. So uh, I am still staying in MMA, but everything I do will now be in podcast form. The MMAReport.com will stay active. It's going to be a website that is just primarily going to be for the MMA Report podcast, the MMA Report preview show, the MMA Report post-fight show. That's all the content that will be up there as uh, just uh, the every days of running MMA website. I, I just, uh, quite honestly, just don't have the time, Sam, uh, in terms of, of everything I'm doing, especially this time of the year with, with football season and, and the things I have going on. So I'm going to take a, a small step back in my coverage of MMA, but still we'll be doing my weekly podcast. I'll have my next podcast will be coming out, uh, if you're listening to us live, on Wednesday. And, of course, also I'll have a preview show for the Bellator card. That is coming up on Friday night. So, Sam, with all that uh, out the window, let's talk about what's going on in MMA. And, obviously, the big news on, on Monday, George Rush St. Pierre coming out and, and claiming that he is a free agent. The UFC has their their perception of the situation is a little different. Uh, first off, uh, let me get your take on what you heard from George St. Pierre. What I heard from George St. Pierre is probably a PR strategy. It's not necessarily necessarily a legal strategy. It's more of a PR strategy disguised as a legal strategy. It looks like to me just from my interpretation and my perception that his legal team has advised him to get ahead of this situation. They're at an impasse. It is a contract dispute. There is a holdout. And by getting out in front of it, the pressure will go to the UFC. I don't know if George St. Pierre and his legal team are ready to take this case to a legal court, but they are ready to take it to the court of public opinion. And by getting out there first, we've already seen the overwhelming reaction. It is anti-UFC, pro-George St. Pierre. And I think that this has to be the strategy. Otherwise, if it's not, then I think George St. Pierre might be getting some bad, bad legal advice. Yeah, obviously, time is going to tell what's going on. But you know, the, you know, to me, the the one of the probably the most interesting things that that kind of come out to me about that whole everything that that George said on Monday. And ironically, I was out doing some shopping when when all of this was going on and got a uh, text message saying, "Hey, by the way, you might want to check Twitter. It sounds like some breaking news is going on." But the fact of the UFC saying that they would have to reintroduce George St. Pierre. Uh, to the MMA fan base. And the other thing I said is if George St. Pierre truly, truly is a free agent, if you're Viacom, it's got to be an open checkbook. Well, not necessarily. Can they afford, you know, the rumor has been and the reports have been that he wanted $10 million to come back and fight. If you're Bellator, Spike TV, and Viacom, you can't 
even come close to that. What, Jason, what do you think is the max? If, if that, you're if you're going to pay him that kind of money, it has to go on pay per view. I mean, no question. I mean, if you're going to pay George St. Pierre that kind of money. But let's just say if Bellator were to bring in a George St. Pierre, look at their 170-pound division of what it could be. It's a quality, you know. You know but, could, but could they even afford to pay him $2 million a fight? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that would depend on you know the sponsorship fees and what they're bringing in. I have to believe that if George St. Pierre wants to continue his career in MMA, he wants to make as much as possible that he is going to work things out with the UFC. I'm sure Viacom's interested. I'm, I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they can offer things that the UFC can't. But some of those things that could be offered to George St. Pierre, they've been offered to Rampage Jackson in the past, and those things were announced at a press conference when Rampage Jackson signed with Bellator. It's not me revealing any confidential contractual details, and we know where that ended up. A lot of those things that were announced and promoted when Rampage Jackson signed never came to fruition. So if they go to GSP and say, hey, we're going to talk to you about movies, we're going to talk to you about reality shows, this is going to be a 360 deal, if you're GSP, you know, you got to think that his response is going to be, that's great, guys, show me the money. I could have gotten millions to fight for Zoof, to fight for the UFC. I need mil- millions to fight for you guys, too. You know, here's a crazy thing about George St. Pierre. Of course, he was supposed to come back at, at UFC 206. That was the, the targeted date. I don't know if you saw this. I, I retweeted earlier uh, this morning. How about the ticket prices for the Ultimate Fire 24 finale are more than UFC 206? Well, what's the capacity of where they're doing the Ultimate Fighter finale? Uh, I mean, it's a Palms. It, it's a small venue. But it, it also, you know, and I've seen some Canadian MMA fans uh, talk about this on social media. They're not, you know, it's one of those cards that are like, eh, not, not ex- it, you know, they're happy the UFC is coming to Toronto, um, but it, it's one of those things where I don't get a lot of optimism, and, and I just think, you know, I just think for Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson, obviously it's a great 205 matchup. It is a rematch, and, and the question is maybe can Rumble finish the job this time with, you know, that strike that he landed in the first fight, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of optimism, and when you look at UFC 205, and you look at UFC 207, I feel bad for Daniel Cormier and Rumble Johnson because in terms of pay-per-view points, there may not be a, a, a great opportunity for them to make a lot of money on the pay-per-view. Yeah, the UFC has done a string of big pay-per-views the last couple months, and Cormier and Anthony Johnson, they're going to be kind of brushing into that holiday season. People are going to be looking to save money after spending so much during the, the, the early portion of the year, and you've got Ronda Rousey coming back at the end of December – that could be a pay-per-view, you know, Anthony Johnson versus Daniel Cormier that some people sit out I'll and you, give their wallets a break. And some of these main events the UFC has been announcing for fight night cards, I, I, Sam, it's scratching my head. I don't understand Paige Van Zandt and Michelle Watterson headlining the Fox card. Um, I, I understand they're all in on Paige Van Zandt, but I'm like, man, is that a headliner? Well, that could take us to our, our – that could be a transition for us with regards to some of the rumors out there that there could be some consolidation on the number of shows and also the UFC fighter roster in 2017. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you've probably seen the layoffs that have gone on uh, that have come out today. Most, I, I think the one that really jumped out to me, Sam, and I, I don't know if it jumped out to you or not, but Gary Cook, that was the yeah. one that, that kind yeah. of, uh, you know, Marshall Zelanik, who has been with the UFC, I want to say for 10 years, 
uh, really had done some international stuff, had done a lot of stuff with UFC Fight Pass. But the Gary Cook one was was the one that jumped out to me because it wasn't that long ago that he moved to Las Vegas, and a lot of people in the industry felt that essentially he was a guy being brought to Las Vegas to take over that Lorenzo Fertitta role. And, you know, you you know, look, there's obviously, uh, you know, the UFC publicly, I think they said less than 15% of the workforce is being uh, is being let go, but it's also is you know and I've heard this and this is something that we haven't talked about on this show but we've talked about privately it is the fact of you know the big rumor going around is that the UFC was going to reduce shows in 2017 so by reducing shows that means you're going to start reducing the roster you know the question is going to be is I think that you know obviously the international expansion plan seems like that's really kind of died down, which also makes me think of, you know, we've seen Bellator, their big thing is about international expansion. With the UFC cutting back on that, if you're Bellator, do you start to maybe reconsider it? It depends on what it depends on the economic structure of those shows. If these are paid shows for Bellator, and what I mean by paid shows, and we've talked about it before, but a paid show is when a local promoter or a regional promoter brings you out and they pay you a flat fee to do the show, and the promoter that's paying the fee to the national big promotion that's coming in, they retain the rights to the house, to the gate, but all the responsibility of marketing and pushing tickets falls on the local regional promoter that's that's buying the house, that's doing a paid show. So if Bellator's financial risk is is minimal – then it makes all the sense in the world to go out and do these shows, get exposure overseas, and maybe you get TV deals in these countries that pay decent revenue. If they are not paid shows, if Bellator and Viacom and Spike, is, if they're putting money out and they're losing money on these shows, absolutely, it's it's a bad decision. They never should have done it in the first place. They don't have enough market share to warrant going to places like Israel, Italy, and Ireland and, and doing shows out there. The UFC – their business model is a little different, with the exception of those Macau shows and some of the shows in Brazil. To my knowledge, they were not getting fees to bring shows. They were putting the money up themselves. And anytime you go into new markets like that and you go into countries where MMA is not a staple, it's still a relatively new sport, and you're educating the public and you're committing money to educating those countries on what your sport is and what your brand is all about – you lose money initially, and that, that, there's a burn there that goes until it, it, it turns around. You look at you look at when Zufa bought the UFC in, in 2001, how long it took for them to build the market up and turn a profit. And that's kind of the, the situation they're reliving in some of these other countries. And if you read the reports out there, the credit warnings that we saw with regards to, uh, you know, the, the new ownership of the UFC and, and the way that their debt is structured – those warnings are public. It's been reported. It's out there. It's not you and I, Jason, getting on here and speculating, hey, it looks like the new ownership may have overextended themselves. Well, based on what we've read, based on the reporting, absolutely it looks like the new the ownership overextended themselves in how they structured their, their deal to get the UFC. And you're, what you're seeing now is I think that they're buttoning down their, their finances, they're tightening the ship, and they're becoming a leaner and meaner promotion going into 2017 to try to cut some of these losses. And it makes sense. If you look at these international shows that are not revenue producers, it makes sense to chop those off because there's not much you can do with them from a TV standpoint here in the U.S. because the cards aren't always the strongest and they're at odd start times 
and it may not have the most appeal to, to, to their TV partners. So you, you ax those shows, you reduce the roster, you, you save money uh, through, the, through the cost cutting because you, you're not running shows that aren't profitable. You're only running shows now that are profitable, and you, you just create a much more financially stable you know, environment for your promotion going forward. And then also by condensing the roster, condensing the number of shows, the quality is, is consolidated, and suddenly the shows that you still have on the books, they become much stronger from a depth perspective. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's what we all want. I mean, one of the things I've said about the UFC pay-per-views, what they, they have to do is is they have to make pay-per-views special again. They have to make sure that every month you sit there and say, hey, I, w- I want to go out and watch a, a UFC pay-per-view. But, you know, I think one of the things of the UFC, you know, the trickle-down effect that this could have on the industry of reducing the number of shows, reducing the amount of fighters that will be under contract, is there's going to be a lot of fighters that are going to find themselves in a very weird position because it's not like there's all this money sitting out there on the regional scene. If you're a fighter that maybe Bellator doesn't want you, they they don't like your fighting style, all of a sudden you sit there and say, okay, what am I going to do? You know, um, you know, a lot of these regional shows, unless you're a major ticket seller, you're going to have a hard time finding the type of money you want. You know, you know, you're, you're not going to go out there and you, you can want you know $8,000 a show, but that money's not going to be out there. So, you know, it's going to have a trickle-down effect on the entire mixed martial arts community. I mean, you look at the regional scene, it, it's one of those things where, you know, there, there's some regional promotions that are doing very well, but there's some states where there's just not a lot of regional shows going on. By the way, if you do uh, have a question or comment for myself or Sam Kaplan, uh, you can tweet at me, which is at Jason underscore Floyd, if you're listening to this live, obviously, or at Sam Kaplan MMA. We, we do have a, a bunch of questions that we're going to get into uh, as this show does go on. And if you are listening to this show live following uh, this episode, you will be able to hear Beyond the Badge with TV law enforcement analyst Vincent Hill here on the Radio Influence Tune In channel. Um, you know, so there, there's it's it's a major trickle down effect that's going to happen in the industry and. I mean, it's, you know, Sam, we, we always talk about on, on this podcast, we always talk about the business side of MMA. It's an interesting time in the business side of MMA. And it, that statement is so true now. I mean, you look at, I mean, the comments that Jose Aldo comes out and says Dana White, you know, you know said you shouldn't be a part of a union. I mean, that's the type of stuff that, that's bulletin board material for Lucas Middlebrook to sit there and put that out there as more and more fighters sign those union cards. Oh, he's already tweeted about it. You know, it's already on his bulletin board, so to speak. The question I have, though, is what was the context with regards to how that came up in a conversation between Jose Aldo and Dana White? For all we know, Jose Aldo could have asked Dana White, hey, what do you think about these reports? What do you think about the news about the union? And, you know, he may have asked Dana White sincerely, and Dana White may have given him a candid, honest opinion, saying that, hey, it's it's bad for the sport. Or, you know, was it a situation where Dana came in much more heavy handed and said, hey, don't you dare think about going to the, the, the this fighters association or the union. We're going to seek reprisals, reprisals against you if you do. That would be illegal. But, to, you know, if it was just a casual conversation and Dana gave his opinion on it, then I, I don't know if that's that big of an issue. We, we weren't there for the conversation. There's absolutely a language barrier that exists when you have a Brazilian and Jose Aldo speaking with an American in Dana White. You know, neither, I don't, to my knowledge, Dana doesn't speak Portuguese. 
and I don't believe Jose Aldo, you know, really speaks English all that fluently. So it's possible that, you know, there could have been a little bit of a miscommunication. I would have liked to have been in that room when that topic was broached, obviously. Yeah, and this this came from a media scrum that Jose Aldo did in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and this was his quote. He goes, he said this, not only now that I'm the one being affected, but I always talked about it and defended better things for Brazilian athletes. In a conversation, Dana himself came and told me not to take anyone's side because the cake would be split the same for everyone, but I would get a bigger slice if I stayed quiet. And that, that was a quote uh, from Jose Aldo. And, and obviously, look, that whole Jose Aldo situation, we, we talked about it a lot uh, on last week's podcast. I, I don't know if you saw Vanderlei coming out and saying that he, he's saying that Connor is scared of Aldo. I, I got a good chuckle out of that one. Yeah, it just that's that goes on the list of uh, Vanderleyisms. I mean, it's just like uh, Vanderlei. The guy traveled around the world twice to fight this guy. I'm like, come on, you know. It, it, you know, I've, and I said on last week's podcast, if, if Jose Aldo doesn't want to fight, he shouldn't fight. If it's not in your heart, you you shouldn't be stepping in there. That's just that's the way I, I view it. And by the way, something I, I didn't mention that I do want to I, at the beginning of the show I want to mention. The NBA Insiders podcast is going to continue over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to have special guest co-hosts. Uh, I will tell you in a in next month, I'm actually going to be doing a show with a regional fighter to talk about what's it like to be a regional fighter, working your way up. I think it's a, a story that, that just does not get to- told out there, so I'm really interested, plus also uh, working on some other uh, people to bring in to the show. So if you are just listening live, uh, you know, this is Sam's last show, but the podcast will continue. Uh, also, it should be noted, uh, Sam, I don't know if you saw this, uh, TMZ came out uh, that Josh Saman, the official cause of death is, quote, probable drug overdose. Now, when it comes to his roommate, Troy uh, Kirklingberg, they did rule it a uh, multi-drug toxicity. Uh, Xanax, cocaine, heroin, and alcohol were in uh, his system. That's not Josh Saman. That was his roommate, Troy. Uh, regarding the Saman, the medical examiner told TMZ, quote, we do not have any um, specimen on Mr. Saman due to the length of his hospitalization. His cause of death is probable drug overdose based on the circumstances and the hospital drug screen that was positive for drugs, but we could not confirm this as they only hold specimens for three days. So that came out uh, earlier today uh, via TMZ Sports. Regardless of how Josh died, it to me it's still a tragedy. You know, we don't know for sure that it was due to an overdose. We do know, especially from his book, that he has battled addiction over the years. And I think all of us, anyone listening to this show, has dealt with addiction in some form or another. Even if it's not you yourself having been an addict, there's got to be someone in your family or a friend of yours that has battled with addiction, whether, it was, whether it's alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, hard street drugs, prescription drugs. I think we've all been impacted by addiction in some way. And whether or not you believe it's a disease or not, it's still sad when someone such as Josh, who had so much potential, and he realized a lot of it, but I don't think he'd realized all of it yet. I don't think as a 28-year-old you're going to realize your full capacity as a human being. He had so much to offer the MMA community and, and, and the world beyond MMA. It's still tragic to me that he's gone, 
it's if, if, if it is in fact, you know, an overdose, it's sad that he lost his battle with addiction. It's an, it's a battle that many people are losing every day. And I just wish there were more cost effective resources out there for people because the way the, the, the especially, you know, in the United States, the way our healthcare system is structured, you know, if you don't have health, if you don't have insurance and you don't have good insurance and you have a situation where you are an addict, it's very difficult to get the treatment you need to overcome it. And I, I just, I, I, regardless of how he met his demise, I, I still consider it a tragic loss. Yeah, obviously a very, very tragic loss for the community. I do want to go back to George St. Pierre, though, because I, I think there's a lot of things we, we did discuss. We got a, a lot of questions related to George St. Pierre. Uh, first up from uh, Scott, he said, GSP and the UFC seem to be aiming to go to court. How long before he couture's it and winds up in the octagon? You know, and, and Sam, one of the things I would say is, you know, is GSP ready to fight in a promotion not named the UFC? I think that's got to be a big question for him. If he has dreams of making $10 million or anything close to it, the only promotion in the world that can even come close to that is the UFC. Unless there's some crazy billionaire who just is a huge GSP fan and decides he wants to promote a one-time event featuring GSP, you're not going to see GSP get anywhere near the amount. And that includes Viacom. That includes Bellator. I don't know if he's ready to take this battle to court. I, I don't think that his, man, his, his legal team should be sincere in that because from a legal perspective, and granted I'm on the outside looking in, but based on what I know about MMA contracts at a major national level, I would find it hard to believe that George St. Pierre is a true free agent, and thus I find it hard to believe that if he went to court that he would have much of a case. There's three things that I want to point out here. I don't want to get too nitty-gritty with the nuts and bolts of the contracts here, but you know this is what this show is about, giving inside information, putting that insight out there. So there's three things to look at. Number one, how and when did GSP notify the UFC that he was unretired and did they follow the proper legal protocol? Simply floating an idea to Dana White, to the UFC, and saying, you know what? George might be willing to come back if the money's right. He might be willing to fight this guy on this date. Floating an idea is not the same as formally unretiring. And until you formally unretire, your contract remains frozen, and the UFC doesn't necessarily have to extend a fight offer to stay in compliance with the agreement. Now, did his management, did his attorney write a formal letter saying that George St. Pierre is no longer retired, he is re-entering the, 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 he's entering the drug program, and he is willing and able to fight anyone within this weight class per the terms of his ex existing deal. If they did that, then yes, the clock starts ticking and the UFC has to satisfy the contract and present a formal offer. The second point to look at here is, was a formal offer made, a formal fight offer made, or was it not? When What constitutes a formal fight offer? In a contract, especially for a major uh, MMA promotion, there is always going to be a clause that defines what a fight offer is. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a bout agreement if it's not formulated, if it's not uh, defined that way in the promotional agreement. It could be a simple email that gives the information saying we're offering you this fight against so-and-so at this weight, at this place, and on this date. Even irrespective of what the contract says, from a legal, pure legal standpoint, 
I, a, a fight offer has to have at least two things and probably a third. And I've talked to you know fight attorneys about this. People, not high level attorneys. I'm talking about high level fight attorneys that deal with fight specific contracts. And a fight offer has to have two, at least two things. Number one, it has to have an exact date, not a time frame. Not hey, maybe December. It can't be that. It has to be, you know, we want you to fight December 2nd. It also has to have a location. It can't be, hey, we want you to fight December 2nd, and we think we might want to do it here. We might do it, want to do it there. No, it has to be we are offering you a fight on December 2nd in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The third thing that it should have, but it doesn't necessarily have to have, it's kind of a gray area from what I've been told, is you really should put a specific opponent in that fight offer just to make it stick. And once you have those three things, that that constitutes a real fight offer. So regardless of whether he was off, presented a formal bout agreement, if they presented those three things in a form of documentation, from the UFC's perspective, depending on how a fight offer is defined, they could have satisfied that agreement. Based on what GSP's side has said, though, that they, they, they were just – floating the idea of Robbie Lawler towards the end of the year, if that is in fact true, then perhaps they do have a case and perhaps, I, you know, the UFC did not offer a fight, uh, you know, within, within a formal time frame. And there is one other component that I forgot. My mind kind of wandered here. I guess we'll come back to it a little bit later once I refresh, but once my mind gets refreshed. But there, there's definitely certain legal aspects to this that, you know, need to be satisfied before GSP goes out. Oh, there we go. I just thought of the third point. In a contract, there is usually either a self-termination clause or a cure provision in the event of a breach. A self-termination clause basically says that if the one part, if one party uh, is in violation and in, in breach of the agreement, that the other party uh, from an autonomous standpoint, uh, not from a unilateral standpoint, not a bilateral standpoint, they can terminate the agreement through formal notification. I can tell you that the UFC agreements do not have self-termination. They, they do not. It's a, uh, a notice of breach and a, 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 the ability to cure the breach. And what that means is if, a, if George St. Pierre or any athlete contracted by the UFC feels that the UFC has breached their agreement, they have – they have to notify the UFC about that breach and give the UFC a specific amount of time that's written to the contract to cure that breach, to fix that breach, to address that problem and get back in compliance with the contract. In most contracts, it's going to be a 30-day cure period. So did GSP's management notify the UFC and say, hey, you know, you were supposed to offer him a fight by this date. You had this type of you had this amount of, time, uh, of a time period to offer a fight. You didn't. You're in breach of the contract. We're notifying you of this breach. You have 30 days to fix this issue. Ha, uh, did did his management team and his legal team do that? And if so, did the UFC comply within 30 days or did they not? If if there was a notification of the breach and the UFC waited 30 days and they didn't make an attempt, honest attempt to rectify the situation, then, yeah, GSP's legal team uh, might, might uh, have a position that George St. Pierre is a free agent. But I don't think that was the case. I, I don't think that the UFC violated a 30-day cure provision. And, I, you know, I, I don't think that George St. Pierre is truly a free agent. Under, under the letter of the law, 
I don't think he is. That's my hunch. I could be wrong because I'm not involved in the negotiations. But, but, you know, the UFC is a major company. They have high-priced lawyers. They have people that do this for a living. I don't think they're going to drop the ball legally on a fighter the caliber of GSP. I just don't see that happening, Jason. And, and something to note uh, in, in relation to that, Josh Gross had a tweet uh, earlier today where he said he spoke with George St. Pierre's lawyer, James Quinn, who said UFC contracts will likely face other challenges in court, a very 21st century form of slavery. Well, you know, I don't know if he's specifically talking about a sunset provision or the lack thereof. It's something that John Nash was tweeting about today. And my understanding of what a sunset provision is, if a fighter re- stops fighting, that the promotion that he is signed to, they cannot hold him to that agreement in perpetuity as it stands now with the way the law is written. If you retire, your contract is frozen and it it's when you come back, the remaining term on it still exists. What a sunset provision would do, and I think it's something that's trying to be passed in California. It's being propo- proposed and it would affect a lot of contracts in California. If George St. Pierre didn't like the terms of his deal with the UFC, was unhappy with fighting, and just said, you know what, I'm not going to fight for you guys, even though I have X amount of fights left, if he sits out for five years, he becomes a free agent and free to negotiate. But there is no sunset provision in the UFC contract, and to my knowledge, there's no federal law that would subject promotional agreements between a sports franchise and an athlete to abide by a sunset agreement. Maybe it's in boxing through the Muhammad Ali Act, but I don't think there's anything on the books legally that would allow George St. Pierre to become a free agent simply by remaining idle. Another question in kind of in relation to all this uh, came from Steve Franklin. He says, with all the disgruntled big names, is a new promotion possible? GSP, Aldo, Anderson, Khabib, Diaz. I always say this, Sam. I, I don't, you know, obviously uh, Alliance MMA with, with what's going on there, but obviously that that's on the on the regional level. I, I don't see, and, and I just see this in MMA overall, you, you don't see a lot of big money coming into the industry outside of obviously what WME has done. Yeah, I don't see the investment community being hot on the idea of MMA as an investment property. I, I you know, th- I think that was very 2004, 2005, where Wall Street wanted to get involved in MMA. They wanted it to be, you know, uh, an, uh, part of their, what's the, uh, searching for the word here, but they wanted to be involved in it. They wanted to be invested. They, want, they wanted MMA to be part of their investment portfolio. And that time has come and gone. And really, it's more of a vanity investment and or a media property getting involved to use it as a programming asset to try to fight the tide of the cord cutter by offering a live sporting event. Outside of that, you're not going to find major investors that are gung-ho about MMA. And the reason why is because outside of the UFC, name me a single mixed martial arts promotion that has turned a significant profit. I'm sure there's regional uh, promotions out there that make a little bit of money here and there. But that doesn't get Wall Street excited. Massive amounts of money, $4 billion sales, gets Wall Street excited. But there's not another MMA property out there that represents the market share or even comes close to representing the market share or the potential to earn anywhere near the amount of market share that the UFC has. The UFC is the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball. Everyone wants to invest in those 
not too many people want to buy the CFL, want to buy the AHL, and things like that. Well, look at arena football pretty much going away. They're, it sounds like they're only going to have four teams next year. Yeah, uh, you know, and that was a red-hot property, I would say, what, eight, ten years ago? And now it's gone under, you know, one time already and came back, and it looks like it's on the verge of going under again. Yeah, I mean, you know, here where I live, Tampa, Tampa Bay Storm, it looks like it's going to be one of the franchises that stick around. It is, I'm not sure about the Phil. I know Philadelphia, wasn't that – was that uh, John Bon Jovi and Jaworski were a part of the ownership group there? It was, and then when it came back, John Bon Jovi was no longer involved. Jaworski is still involved. It's a well-run franchise. They've won titles the last couple of years, but arena football is a tough sell. It's just a tough sell. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I could I, – I You know, promotions not named the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, NBA, or the UFC, you've got your work cut out for you. You're a tough sell. By the way, Sam, uh, this past uh, Saturday night, I went to uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning game. So I, I, how much do you think a bottle of <laughs> Coke Zero cost me? Eight bucks. Six fifty. If you wanted a beer, Sam, $16. Last time we had this discussion, wasn't it 14 Yeah. I, it's I, going I, up to 16 now? Yeah, literally, I got a uh, phone call from one of the ticket representatives. and uh, well, you Jason, know. you not only need to be a cord cutter, you need to be a beer cutter. <laughs> I, I did. I, I had I had one Coke Zero, and that's all. That's the only money I spent inside the venue. You know what the crazy thing is? Soda at at sporting events is usually cheaper than bottled water. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Explain that to me. Explain the cost basis of that to me. As someone who uh, knows food and, and beverage costs, I, I was like, and you know, it's like, man, whew, it, it, you know, and I, look, I get it. it's supply and demand, you know, but you know, so it, it's one of those things, and. Sometimes as a consumer, you just have to say, I'm just not going to pay that. It's kind of like with UFC pay-per-views. Sometimes as a consumer, I'm just like, I just can't justify spending $60 for that product. I mean, and, and there's some times where I look at even free cards. I'm sitting there going, do I want to sit at home on a Saturday night and watch that? Or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, take the wife out for a date night or, or, or go hang with some people that maybe I normally don't get a chance to hang with. I mean, it, it, as a consumer, you have to make that decision. I mean, and that's and ultimately, it's kind of like with the UFC and the pay per view dollars. The the way you send your message to the UFC is not paying for that pay per view. I think it's a generational thing. You know, Jason, when you know MMA started to get big, that was back in two thousand four, two thousand five. That was the boom. It's now two thousand sixteen. A lot of us were single back then, unmarried, no yeah. kids. And you had all the time in the world to go out to bars and watch UFC or have people over and watch UFC. You know, when you're in your early to mid 20s, even late 20s, you have a lot more freedom over what you do with your life. But a lot of those people that started watching in 2004, 2005, they're in their mid to late 30s now. They got a couple of kids. They got a mortgage. They don't have time. They don't they don't have the time. They don't have the money. So really, if you're the UFC, you've got to find ways to cap, recapture that younger demographic because otherwise the UFC is going to face the exact same problem that boxing did, a very old aging demographic. UFC needs to find ways to to get 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, college kids, you know, high school kids, college kids. They've got to find a way to get that market the way they did, you know, almost 12 years ago. I, I don't feel like they're capturing that age group the same way they did back in 2004, 2005. I don't think it represents as strong. I don't know if, if it's the fact that, you know, the younger generation, the millennials are a little more conscious about concussions. And, you know, I think it's the millennials are a much more socially conscious generation than, than our, gen, uh, our generation, Jason. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't see 
younger people getting excited about MMA the way we used to. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I really noticed, um, at least I noticed here in the Tampa area where I live, is just not as many bars are showing UFC pay-per-views anymore. And, and it's not, it, look, it, it's not cheap for a bar to, to show those pay-per-views. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I've been told that the UFC doesn't really like is when bars say free cover. But uh, if you're a bar, that's the way you want to market it. You want to market it and say, hey, you know, come out to our place. We're, we're not charging a cover. You know, when, when for UFC 204, I was, you know, looking there to sit there and, and, and potentially go out for the fights. I ended up uh, went over to a buddy's house, and, and we just basically split the, the cost of the pay-per-view. But I was going through the UFC bar app, and I was like, man, there is not a lot of places near me, uh, you know, that I, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, if I get an Uber, it's probably going to take me about 25 minutes to get there. Huh. I don't know if I really want to be an Uber for 25 minutes, um, you know, but that's one of the issues that the UFC has as well is the fact of they have to entice these sports bars and, and the biggest, you know, and one of the problems the UFC you know has when we're talking non-Connor, non-Ronda pay-per-views, if it is during the football season, a lot of these bars are sitting there going, I'm going to be packed on a Saturday night for college football anyway. Why am I going to pay, you know, anywhere from – 800 you know, you know over $1,000 for a UFC pay-per-view. It'll be interesting to, interesting to see when the TV deal is up if the new ownership will continue to promote the number of pay-per-views that they currently promote. My prediction is that we will see less pay-per-views but that they will cost more money and that you will only be asked to pay for these events if there's a Connor, a Ronda, maybe a John Jones – Fighters of that caliber, of that level, you're only going to be asked to pay for those fights when when they're made. You're, you're, you, there'll be super events, mega events, maybe only six to seven, and you'll have to end up paying maybe eighty, eighty-five, possibly even ninety dollars to watch it. And then that will give the new ownership of the UFC the ability to take fights, maybe like a DC, uh, Daniel Cormier, Anthony Johnson, either make that a co-main event or a pay-per-view. Or make that a headliner on a nationally televised show to justify getting a higher rights fee per show from one of these major networks. Yeah. By, by the way, uh, more names are coming out of who were let go by the UFC today. One of uh, I, I did not expect this one. Their social media director, uh, Shauna Mahoney, she was let go today. Wow. She does a great job with that. I, you know, and, and you know, and, and obviously I think we're going to see a lot of WME people, you know, you know, go into that. It's, it's obviously, I mean, and you're talking about these employees all exiting the UFC. They've been there for a long, long time. And my heart goes out to them, Jason, because a lot of these employees, they work long hours for the UFC and they didn't make a ton of money. You know, they, they they helped build the UFC to where it got to a point where the Fertitas and Dana White could sell it for four billion, and now they're out of a job. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And you got to you got to think if you're Scott Coker and Kevin K, you got to be looking at these names getting cut and start to figure out, okay, is is that a you know a route we need to go? Because Absolutely. because and, obviously and, you know, they would know you know how the MMA market works. Absolutely. Another thing to consider, and we touched on it briefly, briefly, you and I don't believe there's going to be a new promotion that comes out anytime soon. But if 
if there was someone that came out of the woodwork and started a new major national promotion, there's a lot of talent out there for them to work with now. Yeah, there definitely is a ton out there. You know, uh, we had a question that mentioned uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and, and, and this comes from at MMA underscore Nostalgia47. He goes, thoughts on Khabib threatening to keep the UFC out of Russia and hanging out with dictators. How can the UFC respond? And, you know, I, I look at... I'm at sick Khabib, of that guy. I'm sick of him. You know, when it comes to Khabib Nurmagomedov, I'm sitting there going, you have no leverage, man. And, and that's why, I, I, so, you know, a Conor McGregor, he has leverage. Ronda Rousey, she has leverage. Khabib Nurmagomedov has zero leverage. And, and, I, and I feel, and for whatever reason, there's either himself or somebody around him is trying to act like he's got leverage. I was really surprised and shocked when he was put out when they passed him over for the title shot against Eddie. Because really, what has Khabib done in the last two years to justify a title shot? He didn't deserve a title shot in the first place. I was surprised that they were going to go that route if they didn't make McGregor versus Alvarez. All Khabib has done is beaten a non-top contender one time in the last two years. He has one win in the last two years, and it was over a non-top contender. Khabib has no leverage. He needs to shut his mouth, and he needs to get back in the cage and win fights again. Until he starts doing that, he should just stay quiet and go away. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got to, you know, and obviously the, the big part of him is he's got to, I think for the UFC, he's got to show he can stay healthy. You know, that, that has been the problem with him. And you, you mentioned about, you know, how long – uh, that he had been gone. I will say this, another interesting note in terms of MMA uh, that came out via Guillermo Cruz is that the Brazilian commission has approved the use of instant replay. And, and this is going to be interesting to kind of see. This has obviously been something that's been talked about uh, here in the United States with the Association of Boxing Commissions. Really interested to see how far this goes here over the next year or two. How about the UFC having to have to acknowledge that a judge was not cage side for an entire round for one of their fights. That's bad. I mean, have you been reading about that? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, how, how does that happen? And how is the fight not overturned and declared a, a no contest? That how, how does that? It's it just it, how do, And it was a self-regulated show. How do you even start the fight? When you look, when the referee looks at the judge's position and does not see a person there, how do you start the fight and you go for an entire round? And now they're claiming, oh, the judge was sitting front row. Well, let's see some footage. Let's see some proof that he was in a position to watch the fight. Even if he was, that's not the assigned position for a judge. You cannot judge a fight while you're sitting in the audience with fans. Because that could influence how you judge a fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, no no, no question. It it's definitely... a joke. The UFC, it should never have happened. And it did happen. They've acknowledged it to happen. And the fact that they haven't declared that fight because it was a close fight, the fact that they have not declared it a no contest is a joke. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, fight Ghost uh, had a little uh, question for you, Sam. Uh, fight underscore Ghost. Great uh, to, uh, follower on Twitter saying, uh, Sam, last show predictions. One year from today. Does WSOF exist? Titan exists? What does Bellator and UFC look like? Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into a World Series of Fighting um, because I definitely think that potentially Ray Sefo slipped up a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> potentially? No, nah, he did. He effed he, uh, he up. He really effed up. Uh, you know, in terms of what the UFC and Bellator are going to look like, um, 
obviously, you know, both promotions are, are, are making a lot of changes. Uh, you know, Bellator, I think the next couple of cards are doing are, are great top to bottom. I think uh, Friday's card is a solid lineup top to bottom. They give you, you know, reasons to, to watch that preliminary card. I'll, I'll be on an airplane, Sam, so I probably won't be able to watch this uh, fight card live. Uh, as I head out to uh, the uh, the Bay Area out there in the West Coast, as uh, what's the airline that has Direct TV? Uh, the airline I'm on does not have Direct TV. <laughs> but uh, but you know one thing I I think one of the best things Bellator does is how they instantly put all those fights up on their uh, on their website. So That's... you can go right there on the website and you can watch all those fights. But uh, the Mohegan Show they're they're doing is great as well. Um, you know, top to bottom, just a really loaded up show. I, I think I was counting that Bellator has like seven or eight events in the last two months of the year, two and a half months of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, mean they're, they're doing shows on back-to-back days in December. It's crazy. But to answer Fight Ghost's question, we'll save the WSOF part for a little bit later. But for, as far as Titans concerned, one year from now, I don't think it exists. Bellator, what I think it looks like, it's such a huge variable. If Viacom and CBS remerge, Bellator could, you know, it could be a dream or nightmare scenario for Bellator. I mean, it it could be a situation where Bellator is on its last legs because CBS is cutting costs, or it could be a situation where CBS sees Bellator as a live sporting event and such a valuable property that it's that that Scott Coker makes his way back onto CBS. And the new CBS app, the app that, they, you, know, that you uh, pay four ninety five a month for, they could see Bellator as a tremendous asset. And they may, um, you know, designate the undercards as uh, exclusive live content for for the CBS app and give Bellator a rights fee and and give Bellator some fees for for the fight library to feature featured on on the on their on the uh, the the new app that they have the live the live streaming um, yeah you know app. I mean, there, there, there's it, it, there's Bellator could either go way up or way down. It's it remains to be seen that that merger, that potential mer- remerger between CBS and Viacom, that is going to be very interesting, and uh, that's really going to impact what Bellator looks like a year from now. UFC, what I think it looks like, I think fewer shows, fewer fighters. I think stronger, deeper shows. I think that they're going to start making that gradual switch to less pay per views as they try to build up their over-the-air fight lineups to try to get the best ratings possible to try to give themselves as much leverage as possible so that they can negotiate a 300 to $400 million a year, year rights fee uh, situation with, with either one network or multiple networks. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be interesting times ahead. You know, we mentioned about world series of fighting and of course uh, it was, I think Sam was your tweet uh, cancellations and MMA are never good. It was that your exact tweet uh, yesterday. Yes. Yes. Now this is, uh, if you, I'm sure you've heard by now that the World Series of Fighting uh, has canceled their November 12th and on uh, December 3rd event. Or if you listen to them, they're merging them into uh, <laughs> December 31st. Which, let's be honest about it, all those fighters that were supposed to be on those cards aren't going to be on the on the December 31st card. But uh, the, you know, Ray Sefa was on the MRR with Ariel Hawani to announce that. And beginning of basically, Ariel just you know turns it over to him, says, "Hey, you know, let everyone know what's going on." And Ray Sefa slipped up a little bit. Well, you know, after a few weeks of discussions, uh, Ali, um, uh, Carlos and myself, <laughs> along with, along. With- and that was the slip up there. And Sam, you're, you're like me when you talk to people in the industry. <laughs> there is many, many 
many people that will tell you they fully believe Ali Abdelaziz is still working for the World Series of Fighting. Multiple sources have told me since day one that when it was announced that he was no longer working for the World Series of Fighting, that he was still going to be involved. It was just a public cover. And Ray's little slip up there pretty much, in my mind, confirms what my sources have been telling me for months now. And if that's, you know, if that's the case, if you're NBC, how do you stay involved with an organization that employs someone with the history that Ali Abdel Aziz has? You know, and supposedly on Thursday of this week, Paul Gift is going to have a story on the World Series of Fighting. My speculation it has to do with lawsuits. I know Mike Russell, who has done a lot of investigative reporting on Ali Abdelaziz, has, has teased that he's going to have a story coming out on Thursday. So Thursday of this week could be a, a very interesting uh, week in, in terms of the World Series of Fighting. But, you know, let, I, and let me say this. I want to add something here. Sorry to cut you off. But. Based on what I'm hearing, there are going to be some massive bombs dropped on World Series of Fighting this Thursday. I can't comment because it's not my story to report. But if what I'm being told gets uh, that is going to be reported gets reported Thursday, it is going to be a day a day that lives in infamy for the World Series of Fighting. There are some major revelations coming out, um, some major scandals that will come out of the reporting that uh, we, we, we anticipate on Thursday. I just wonder if I'm ever going to hear from Sean Lamplin again. Well, some of what you're going to hear Thursday involves Sean. Uh, yes, I, I have heard that. And, uh, you know, you may remember on this podcast, Sam, it was probably maybe a year ago. I'd said that someone in the MA industry had started, uh, gave me a contact request on LinkedIn and I knew uh, who it was. It was Sean Lamplin. Haven't heard from him though. I, I had a very good relationship with Sean Lamplin. I, you know, I had, you know, the way I got introduced to, to Sean was on a phone call when, there was someone in the World Series of Fighting that uh, just couldn't, that basically demanded a public uh, retraction on a story I had about their television deal, which I go, yeah, not happened because I've got the documents to prove it all. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was basically about six months after that, Sean Lamp was like, yeah, you got the entire story right. And, you know, to, to, to answer FICO's question, a year from now, does World Series of Fighting exist? Absolutely not. No chance in hell. I think a more challenging question would be, does, it, does the World Series of Fighting make it to December 31st? I'm not sure that's a guarantee. I think that you really have to look at the fact that they're canceling two shows. No matter how Ray Cepho tries to spin it, it is not a positive. It is never good like I tweeted out because when you cancel shows like that that are on the books for your TV partners, TV partners do not like it when you cancel events on them. They don't like it when you cancel one event, let alone two. And I will say this. If NBC does not have the problem – that I perceive them having with it, then that then that means World Series of Fighting needs to be even more worried because that means NBC doesn't care about the World Series of Fighting, doesn't care whether or not they, they put on scheduled events or not at all. It, the content is meaningless to them. And if your content that you're providing to your partner is meaningless, it doesn't say much about the future of your organization. And I think December 31st will be a challenging show for them from a logistics standpoint, working with a new commission in New York, dealing with insurance premiums, dealing with high rental fees, dealing with unions. If your organization is not buttoned up, you are not going to have an easy time 
putting pulling off an event in, in Madison Square Garden, even though they're in the little theater, there's still a ton of cost. I'm just not sure, Jason, they're going to make it. I, I don't know if, if that December 31st show happens. I, I think that that it could be in, in, in peril right now. Here's here's a major issue that they're going to have on December 31st. It's going to be a 4 p.m. Uh, start time on NBC. Sam, do you know it also starts at 4 p.m. on December 31st? Probably a major college football game. The first college football playoff game is right at 4 o'clock on ESPN. Yeah, but college football's not that big, Jason. Let's let's get real. <laughs> yeah, that's all I do on Saturday, Sam. <laughs> I literally I literally sit in front if if I'm at home and uh, you know, obviously uh, this weekend I'll, I'll be out uh, in the Bay Area, so I'll be sitting in front of my in my hotel and and I'll sit there and I'll have one game on TV. I'll have like four games on my computer. I'll have another one on my iPad, another one on my iPhone. I I watch about six or seven games at one time. Who's going to, you know, it's a question, who's going to watch it live, but who's going to pay for tickets on New Year's Eve at 4 p.m.? I, I was also thinking, how difficult is it going to be to get to MSG on New Year's Eve? Is that an easy venue to get to? I mean, people Wait, are getting ready to party at 4 p.m. on New Year's I, I tell Eve, you, but... it's, you know, you know and one of my questions about the World Series of Fighting is just financially, how do you make things work when... You're paying guys like Gaethje. I mean, look, who's an incredible fighter? I, I call him must-watch TV. But how do you make money when you're paying him six figures? How do you make money on Marlon Moraes, who's making six figures? How do you make money on, on David Branch? I mean, you know, their last show that Gaethje was supposed to headline and the fight falls out on the day of the event, you know, that was a fight card that I was looking forward to. But when Gaethje fell out, I was like, okay, I'm not staying up till you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. I went to bed and I watched it on DVR the next day. You, you don't make money. That's the answer to that question. The really number one and possibly only true revenue stream for the World Series of Fighting for the last several years and really ever since it came into existence was investor funding. And once that dries up, you you know, if a promotion is completely relying on investor funding, when that revenue gets stream gets shut off, it gets shut off overnight and your promotion dies overnight. You don't die a slow death you die immediately and things that are on the books that are that are scheduled suddenly they get canceled overnight i, I want to read you a quote from ray Sefo, and this comes from bloodyelbow.com which the title of this story which i know justin gaethje didn't really like was ray Sefo shoots down justin gaethje's claims that the wsof can't afford to give him more fights and this is a quote from ray Sefo. A lot of these fighters forget that we don't have 50 shows a year. We have 10 live shows and two WSOF global shows. A lot of these guys forget that. I have 100 guys on my roster, and I got to make sure that everybody fights. And that's no secret. Every fighter I've signed, they know that right off the bat. I have 10 live shows. I don't have 50 live shows. That's a quote from Ray Seffo. All right, Sam, I start doing the math here. 10 shows and you have 100 fighters under contract, it, it, immediately that makes me say, how many fighter contracts is the World Series of Fighting in breach of currently? What he's pointing out is incompetence. You're, you're saying that, oh, we have all these fighters, but we only have 10 shows. Well, who's responsible for signing that many fighters when you only have that many shows? And who's responsible for rectifying the situation from a long-term perspective, not a short-term perspective? And what does it say about your 
your fight promotion IQ when you're saying everyone needs to get an equal shot. Everyone needs to fight an equal amount of times. That's not how you run a fight promotion. You run a fight promotion to make money. Justin Gaethje is your biggest star. You, your biggest stars need to fight more than anyone else. What he's saying is fighter number one, the most prominent, the most valuable fighter in his organization is really at the end of the day only is just as valuable as fighter number 100. That both those guys, if there's only room for them to fight two times a year, that, you know, instead of giving Justin Gaethje three fights and taking one fight away from number 100, that, that that's what has to happen. That's a ridiculous. That's a joke. You don't have that many headliners. You don't have that many stars to begin with. You need as many headliners as possible. Justin Gaethje, if if, if he is able to fight every other month, if you're trying to grow your promotion, trying to grow your fan base, your your ratings, your ticket sales, you want that guy fighting as much as possible. Ray Seffo, when he when he says this stuff, he needs to think about it first because it doesn't add up. It's transparent, and he makes himself sound incompetent. You know, I know Justin Gaethje, and he has said he doesn't know how the free agency process is going to play out. But, you know, obviously, I mean, look, is the UFC going to pay him $100,000 to show what he's making in the World Series of Fighting? No, they're not. I mean, you look – he should be looking at what Will Brooks got. You know, you know, Will Brooks was, what, 53 and 53, I want to say. Um, you know, it's – you know, look, I think it's great that he's making the amount of money that he's making in the World Series of Fighting. I think it's absolutely great for him. From a business side, I just look at it and say, well, how is how is the World Series of Fighting, you know, making money? Uh, you know, how can they even break even by paying a guy like Justin Gaethje that much? And the other thing is this, and I was talking to a manager about this today. If you're a manager and you have a fighter that's looking for a fight, and they say, hey, how about you give me a fight in the World Series of Fighting? As a manager, can you? Can you put your fighter in that position when no fighter wants to sit on the sidelines and maybe only fight two times a year? You know, you ha- if you would do it, you would have to have an ironclad inactivity clause. The problem with that is, and I can speak from experience on this, even when the World Series of Fighting hasn't honored their inactivity clauses, they still try to hold fighters to the deal. And, and the perfect example of this was Chris Horodecki. Chris Horodecki had an inactivity clause with the World Series of Fighting that the World Series of Fighting was in breach of. And they hung to this claim that they satisfied the agreement by making Chris Horodecki a fight offer through text message from Ali to Chris Hordecki. And I, we, I obtained a copy of that text message, gave it to a fight attorney for analysis. And the fight analysis, the, the, the fight, uh, fight attorney said, this is not a formal fight offer. It does not give a time. It does not give a date. It does not give a place. It is just a casual mention of a possible fight. That is not a formal fight offer. They did not satisfy the agreement. Chris Ordecki and his and his manager are right in their assertion that they are a free agent. And and the, when we analyzed the contract, there was a self-termination clause. Chris Ordecki followed it. They even tried to give World Series of Fighting a, a, a period of time to cure the breach. And when that breach was not cured within that, that period of time, they exercised their full rights within that contract to self-terminate. It was not a bilateral termination clause. It was a unilateral they, termination clause. They had the right to do it. They did it. We signed, you know, we 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 signed Chris Ordecki. He he was scheduled to fight for us against Marlon Sandro. And even though the World Series of Fighting had no legal leg to stand on, they basically rat effed Chris Ordecki and threatened litigation, threatened an injunction. 
And we eventually, you know, came to a, a, a settlement because even though we felt that Chris and, and also Bellator were, was in a strong legal position, we knew that that would go to court if World Series of Fighting filed. And we knew that they would lose, but we knew it would take time to get that verdict, to get that judgment. And in the interim, Chris Hordecki would be in a state of purgatory, and we didn't want to see that happen to Chris. So we came to a settlement where he would fight the one fight that was already scheduled for us, and then after that, his rights would revert back to World Series of Fighting. But when organizations do stuff like that, even when they're in violation of the agreement and a fighter exercises the actual rights, that inactivity clause, is, I guess, is meaningless if World Series of Fighting as a promotion, if, if they're not going to honor it, and they're just going to use legal strong-arm tactics to try to hold people that really aren't even bound to their organization anymore. So if, if, if I was a manager, Jason, absolutely not. I would not sign with the World Series of Fighting for more than one fight deal. And I remember the, the situation with that part of the agreement was his fight wasn't streamed either. It was only seen by the people in attendance. I mean, yeah, I mean that was part of the 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 settlement. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's uh you know it's I personally if I was representing fighters I would you know if I was going to do a a deal with the World Series of Fighting it would be a one fight deal but you know is the World Series of Fighting really want to do one fight deals with fighters? <sighs> you know, and then they, they, they might have to. They might know, have to. I mean, it's Jay, here's the point I want to bring up: World Series of Fighting. They only have ten dates a year now. Meanwhile, the merged Legacy Fighting Championships and RFA, how many dates a year are they going to have? Oh, man, what was the number? Was it like 30? It's like it's at least 30. And so if your goal is to fight in the UFC, do you want to sign with a promotion that has 30 fights on the books, or do you want to sign with a promotion that only has 10? Oh, no question. I mean, look, if, I, if I'm representing a fighter and you know his goal, he says, look, my goal – or her goal is to get to the UFC. Clearly, I'm I'm going to LFA. No 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 question about it. And really, that that has to be your goal because to to sign with the World Series of Fighting for any other reason doesn't make sense because you look at how they're treating one of their stars and Justin Gaethje. So okay, you're not necessarily focused on just getting to the UFC. You're okay with with staying with the World Series of Fighting because you believe you can make be a big star for the organization and you can make a lot of money. What use is that money if you're only being fought one to two times a year when you could go to the UFC and fight three to four times a year? You know, would Justin Gaethje have to take a pay cut to go to the UFC? Yeah, but if he got Will Brooks money to do it, but but he's fighting four times a year and he's in a position to compete for fight night bonuses every time. It's a no brainer. You know, you take, you take less guaranteed money and you, you go and you fight because Justin Gaethje's young enough that he, he, he's not in a stage of his career where he should only be fighting two times a year. He needs to fight three, four times a year. You know, the other thing I didn't like what Ray Sefo said was, you know, citing that uh, injury to Blagoy Vonoff is ultimately the reason that they decided to cancel the December 3rd show. And I'm like, huh? Yeah, I'm calling BS on that one. I mean, come on. You, you can't find another headliner. It's not like Blagoy Vonoff is going to bring a ton of viewers to NBCSN on, on December the 3rd. It's spin, and it's not even good spin. It's transparent. Well, it's so transparent what they're doing. It, like, like I said, canceling events in MMA, never good. And also, you know, they got rid of Michael Fromowitz. Uh, who is uh, their PR guy? I mean, he was not. Uh, you know, that's a blessing in disguise. You, 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 you never. You're never happy when when a good guy loses their job in any industry. But based on what's going to come out on Thursday, Jason, I think Mike probably is going to be really happy that he doesn't have to deal with that quagmire. You know, Mike's got his own PR company. I mean, people may remember him from Strike Force, but you know, he does Combat Day Americas. I, I did have to laugh that uh, you know, World Series of Fighting when Sefo made his announcement, they were. 
uh, citing to a story on their website that was, uh, you know, a, a press release written by Mike months ago. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, you let him go on Friday. And, but you're still putting it out there. But and, and I have honestly at this time I have no idea who's doing uh, the PR for the World Series of Fighting. And you know we'll, we'll see uh, what ultimately comes out on Thursday. But uh, some of the things I've heard, yeah, not not looking good for the World Series of Fighting. And uh, you know I mean look, you, 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 I never want to see anything bad happen in these promotions. I want to see all these prom- promotions succeed because it ultimately gives fighters. Uh, you know, more places to make money, but man, it's 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 kind of tough right now. I mean, you know, is with the World Series of Fighting, I just wonder how many millions of dollars that promotion's gone through. If I had to make an estimate, just based on what the amounts that I know that IFL and Elite XC burn through, you've got to think they're at least twenty-five to thirty million dollars in the hole, if not more. That's that's a conservative estimate they they could be possibly even 40 million dollars in the hole yeah i mean and uh you know they don't have a rights fee from um from nbc it's a production uh rights cost where basically nbc just pays a production fee so uh do i get a couple more questions here uh uh one was about the ufc albany main event which is going to be Derek lewis i don't know if you saw his twitter <laughs> Derek lewis by the way one of the best even though he's good I, at twitter he's good at twitter. he's great at twitter uh apparently um have we talked about uh, Teruto Ishihara, the the fighter that uh, loves to say I, I love my bitches? Yes, we have. Apparently, the UFC has told him now he can't do that. He he put an Instagram video out saying that it's now he loves his ladies. I'm like, oh come on, the guy was uh, hilarious. you know. So, but he's obviously going PC route. <laughs> but Derek Derek Lewis going, you know, who the f is this guy in, in terms of uh, the Russian that he's fighting there. Uh, in the UFC already main event, and uh, Jeremy sent this question. He goes, could it be the worst main event ever? I'd rather see Sterling a Sun Sal as a main event. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to kind of see what they're doing there. Uh, Francis Njuanu, uh a French heavyweight, also on that card. Uh, but it's kind of it, – it makes me wonder about – where the matchmaking is going for the UFC in 2017. Are we going to start to maybe see more of these slow build with fighters? Because you would have thought Derek Lewis coming off that win against Roy Nelson, he would get somebody in the top 10. You know, he's supposed to fight on that Manila card against uh, Marcin Tybura. Now he's taking on the Russian here. Um, You know, it's a fight card that, I mean, Derek Lewis is hilarious. He's got a great fighting style. I don't know if that keeps me in on a, uh, a Friday night to watch that fight card. No, no. And, you know, their matchmaking philosophy going into 2017 will be interesting. Maybe there is more development that goes on. They take maybe a slower path with some of these guys. But one thing that I think we we might know about their 2017 matchmaking philosophy is if you uh, listen to Dana White's comments last week, it doesn't look like CM Punk will be a part of that matchmaking. Yeah, that, that Dana White had a lot to say last week. I'm, uh... he, he did. He did. You know, it's uh, yeah, Ronda in the media. I mean, come on, the kid yeah. gloves have been on Ronda for so long. And it's like Ronda, there the attacks about you are more about your coach than anything else. The media has treated her with kid gloves. I don't know. It's you know, just because Ronda says something doesn't mean Dana White should repeat it. It just it's uh, it's crazy talk. Yeah, I mean, because you know she's obviously going to have to deal with the media at some point, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm pick. I'll probably pick Amanda Nunez in that fight. I, I just Ronda. I, I wonder what's been going on the last six months. How, you know, I wonder how. When did she actually truly start getting back in the training? That's that's what my big question with her. 
and my question is, if she's was really committed to making a comeback, if she still has that fire, why didn't she announce her comeback the minute Misha Tate took the title from Holly Holm? Oh yeah, she should have. That that's when she should have done it. Because that's you. You've beaten her a couple times in the past, and you've beaten her badly. That is an easy and direct path back to the title. Yeah, and by the way, I'm still sticking there. We never see Ronda Cyborg. I don't think it ever happens, Sam. Yeah, it, 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 it won't. It won't. Uh, you know, we mentioned about Derek Lewis. He was supposed to fight that Manila card. Got asked, uh, was it the right call to cancel that fight card, or should they have gone through it with a weak card or not? I, I think the UFC made the right call. Yeah, and I think that's going to be kind of a sign of things to come. They're not even going to schedule shows like that in 2017. No. You know, because I think that the Fertitas plans for an inter- for international expansion it was kind of backwards. They they thought that they were going to spend a lot of money on live events and then get TV deals when in reality I think I think the the the, the real way to do it is to get TV deals and even if you have to take less money to get the exposure there, you do it, you broadcast the shows, you build up an audience and then you do the live show. I think that's how we're going to see the new ownership play things. I think that the way the Fertitas were doing it, I, I think it was ba- it was uh, it was backwards. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, is, is what they do there. Uh, in terms of that, uh, also uh, some other uh, questions to mention here. Uh, we got um, a couple of things on the WSOF. This comes from Chris Conti. Says, "How well do you think the WSOF New Year's Eve car will do on NBC?" And uh, he says we'll be running against the college football playoff game, which it will. And he goes, are they all putting their eggs in one show? And is NBC giving the WSF the best chances to succeed? I would say this. I don't think they're putting putting the WSOF in the best chances to succeed because, uh, you know, Sammy, you have talked about this you know, multiple times. There's certain days of the year you just don't do events on. Halloween yeah. is one of them. Um, you know, you've talked about December being a bad month. Some, some months in, in, in the summertime can be bad as well. You know, to me, this is not putting the World Series of Fighting in the best chance to succeed. If New Year's Eve was a viable fight night in America, then the UFC would have done New Year's Eve shows every year. And they're doing a Friday night pay-per-view that week. Yep. Kind they're, of going, they're going Friday night. They're going Friday night that week just to stay away from far as away from New Year's Eve as possible. And and that and and that'll be Ronda Rousey, Amanda Nunez, and uh, if you're going to go out and watch that pay per view, you better get to whatever a sports bar early because you know there's going to be a ton of people there. Yep. Uh, some other uh, questions that uh, we got in here. You know, you kind of gave some predictions. Uh, we got asked by Andy about uh, for three predictions for the next year in MMA, and all said, he wishes you well. Uh, you know, there's a uh, you know in terms of uh, big predictions uh, in MMA, anything really stick out to you? Throw some wild ones out here. I think that World Series of Fighting not only goes under, it gets acquired by the UFC. I think the UFC will value the fight library based on UFC Fight Pass and and, and the way they want to grow Fight Pass. So I think that'll happen. I think that Bellator will be close to a network deal a year from now. And let me see. I think I'm trying to throw something crazy out there. How about this? Tito Ortiz does not fight Chael Sonnen. I think he re-injures his neck. And Rampage Jackson 
fights Chael Sonnen as the replacement. How about that? Yeah, that that's great. It's still it's still really interesting to me the fact that Bellator is going to Memphis this week without Rampage Jackson. Rampage is Rampage. If he's not ready to fight, he's not ready to fight. He's not one of these guys that is always ready to fight that and always wants to to fight. I mean, he he does his fight. Then he takes time off and he kind of does his own thing and he doesn't come back until he feels like it. So he, he's not a 365 day a year fighter at this stage of his career. There's only certain finite periods of the year in which he wants to fight. Uh, next up, uh, Joe asks, what comment got Sam the most heat? What comment got him the most praise? Thanks for being as genuine as you could be, Sam. Great show. Sam, there's so many things that I, I know probably we've talked about and the things that have got you heat. Anything you want to mention? You know, I, I, I've said a lot of different things through Five Ounces of Pain and other shows that I did, did, have done. I've never been involved in any kind of project or endeavor and that includes matchmaking for bellator you know i've been an mma professional now for over 10 years i i've never done anything that has been as well received as this show jason so to me if if i did get heat i never considered it true heat because it paled in comparison to to criticism that i'd gotten from other ventures that i'd done in mma so to me, the, the, the amount of support that, we had, that we've received for this show, you go, go to iTunes. We have, what, 26 five-star ratings? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we, don't, we don't have a single rating that's less than five stars. So I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't think that I've really gotten that much heat for anything that I've said. Everyone has been really supportive of this show. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that we were able to accomplish with the show is to – offer something unique, you know, and that's, you know, a, a lot of people who want to get in MMA media, um, you know, they'll ask me and say, you know, what should I do? What should I do? And I always say is, look, you, you have to be unique. You have to, and you also have to know what you do best, you know, and for me, look, I'm a radio guy. At the end of the day, I'm a radio guy. And you put a microphone in front of me and I, I can sit here and talk to myself for two hours uh, about MMA. And, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing the, the podcasting. It allows me to, uh, you know, I never thought myself as a great writer. Um, I've always said, put, put a microphone in front of me and, and you give me someone to talk to, you know, I can try to get some things out of them. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing I thought we just, we were all, you know, I, I felt that every week I would sit there and go, man, I, I didn't know about that. You know, it, I learned a lot from you and I know, our listeners learned a lot from you, and, and of course, you know you, you'll still be around. You know they can follow you uh, on Twitter at Sam Kaplan MMA, and uh, you know to see what's going on with you. You know, um, you know next next time up in the Philadelphia, you know I have to come see you. Also, uh, absolutely, Chef Brian. You know, should you know we we kind of let this cat out of the bag, Chef Brian Duffy. Uh, from Bar Rescue, he is starting a show on Radio Influence. Uh, he, he was he was very happy as we were meeting up uh, last week uh, that I was drinking a Yingling with him. <laughs> it's a Philly beer. Yeah, it's a that Philly a beer. Yeah, Philly beer for sure. You know, yeah. So uh, that that show is coming to Radio Influence. Is, is that's obviously going to take up a lot of my time. But you know, look, I'm still going to be doing the podcast. We'll do the Insiders podcast. Uh, and uh, you know, I'll and who st- knows? Maybe I'll be one of the guest co-hosts. You know, every yeah. now and then. That's that's always a possibility. What, one answer I do have for that that gentleman that had that question, I will say this, and I can't name a specific comment, but there are things that had got that have gotten things that I've said on this show that have gotten me heat, not with 
the general audience that, that listens to the show, but with people within the industry that are industry professionals from a legal perspective, where I've gotten legal letters and had to have had, uh, I've had to have my attorney respond to those letters, and there were threats of lawsuits, and I can't go into specifics, but yeah, there's things that I said that got me into legal heat. And I had to respond to some of those things legally through an attorney. And, you know, fortunately, my attorney did a good job of asserting our position. And the, there, there was never a lawsuit filed that I had to respond to and spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to defend. You know, what always amazed me, Sam, is the people that would listen to the podcast. That, that oh. would, I mean, there, oh there, were, there were times where literally <laughs> I, we, we would be, tw- you know, tweeting out teasers of what's in the show. The show would post. And literally, I'd have a text message within 10 or 15 minutes yeah. about it. It, it was it was always uh, it's always crazy. And I hope that I can continue to, to offer some some unique content. Uh, for for the Insiders podcast, I I really well, I know that you can because Jason, you're one of the true independent voices that covered this sport. That was the big reason why I wanted to do this show with you. You were the number. I wanted to do a podcast when I got let go by Bellator. You were the number one choice. And even though you and I hadn't interacted much during my tenure at Bellator, I was reading your stuff daily, and there were very few people that covered us from a fair perspective the way that you did. I felt like a lot of people were kind of on the Zufa uh, tip and, you know, were not really uh, rev- uh, not viewing Bellator from an objective fashion. And you were one of the few truly independent voices and you remain one of the few independent voices. I mean, you, Paul Gift, John Nash, you guys are a dying breed, Jason. Well, I mean, the thing for me, and, and when you know I got into the MMA industry, do you know started off by just doing a podcast for, uh, you know, I it was Clear Channel at the time. Now, now it's iHeartMedia, and you know it, it goes back to my my first ever program director when he, when he said to me, he said he goes, one of the things is you can't be the morning show, you can't be the the afternoon show. You have to be unique, and it's something that's always stuck with me, and that's one of the things in the MMA industry. Um, you know, you have to be unique. You have, and and that's how you stick out. And you know, and that's how people in promotions will, uh, you know, they'll talk to you. Is they see that you're you're doing hard work and um, you're trying to, you know. And one of the things is you just have to be fair to all these promotions. But when you know negative news has to be reported, you have to report it. Not gonna lie, there there is a certain somebody that uh, is on the radar for me to try to get on the show. Nice. And and I think a lot of people probably can figure out who I'm going to be reaching out to. Well, that speaks, you know, to the the format of this show. It's bigger than any one person. As long as there's voices in this format on the MMA Insiders podcast that are willing to come on and give an insider's perspective from an honest fashion, then this show is going to continue to have a lot of value. And I'm looking forward to listening to it, you know, when I'm doing my workouts. You know, I'm not a big fan of listening to myself, so I didn't listen to this show very often. Whenever there was a guest co-host, whether it was Brian Rogers, Anthony, or Paul Bradley, I, I I, I was excited to listen to the show. And that's something that I'm going to be doing, you know, with your decision to continue. Yeah, Paul, the Paul Bradley episode was something I, I really learned a lot. I, I thought he was so candid with, with a lot of things. And, uh, you know, it, we'll try to bring more of those stories. You know, if, uh, you know, if BR wants to answer my, uh, my phone call, 
I'll gladly have him, and I'm not talking Brian Rogers. <laughs> I, I know Brian will answer my phone call. You know, that other BR that apparently is still in Mexico, I would love to have him on the Insiders podcast. Well, I would say that that's a possible that, – that the chances of that happening go up without me being involved in the show now because with I, me involved in the show, that the percentage of him being on the show was zero. Sam, I think I got like a 1% chance. I'm just being it went, honest. It went from zero to one. You, you, so what you're saying is there's a chance. <laughs> Yeah, there there might be a chance. Trust me, I have tried in the past to try to get you know, just like any any um, MMA media outlet, you know, I'm sure that I'm not the only one. You know, look, I, you know, whatever your your thoughts of you on Rebney are uh, as a media member, we would all kill for that interview. We would all we would all kill for it because you never know what he might say, you know. And 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 look, and, and I and I told this you know people privately. I just don't think we'll ever hear from him. I really don't. I. I, I I just don't I don't believe we will. Yeah, and I think the reason why it's not because he probably doesn't have things to say. It's probably because and I don't know this for a fact. This is me speculating. This is conjecture. But you've got to assume that when he departed Bellator, there was probably a financial settlement of some kind. He was a part owner in the company. He still had a significant amount of shares of, uh, uh, in the company. So there probably was a payment of some kind and if you're Viacom, you're not just going to pay someone a ton of money and let them walk away without having them sign some kind of non-disparage, oh, yeah. non-disparagement agreement and some kind of confidentiality agreement. And if Bjorn made big money from his departure from Bellator, he would be a fool to go on and jeopardize, you know, jeopardize that. You know, a single comment could cost him millions if that's if what I believe is, you know, if, if, the, if the situation is what I believe it to be, then Bjorn really doesn't have much incentive. Doesn't There's not much value for him to come out and, and, and talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, I mean, you, you've heard through grapevines, oh, you know, I, I've heard he's in California. That's where I, you know, that he's still out there, uh, you know, in the Newport Beach area. Um, but I just, I, I don't think it's ever ever going to happen, but I, I would love to get that interview. There, there's a lot of, you know, I think there's, one thing's in May, there, there's so many great stories that are out there, and, and I hope that I can continue to tell those stories. By the way, speaking of Bellator, I know you saw the video about Frank Shamrock. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously Frank, uh, you know, you've talked about in the past the fact that he was around during Bellator 120, that the pay-per-view card there in Memphis and, you know, you know, potentially being offered uh, the, the president of Bellator. What's your thoughts on that? He was. I, I can confirm that. And I'm, I don't want to violate Frank's trust, but this is the last show that I'm doing. And I want to give people, you know, as much insight as possible and, and reveal something. You know, we did a show, I believe it was New Mexico. And Frank was there, I think it was during kind of the time where we were doing Fight Master, and Frank was getting you know, more and more involved with Bellator. The execs at, at Spike TV were, were huge fans of Frank, and, and Frank had really won them over. And it created an interesting dynamic because Bjorn and Frank did not get along. I think when Bjorn was trying to start Bellator, he went out and met with a lot of different people to try to get them involved, different people from different luminaries from the MMA community. Some people gave him the time of day and were respective of his time, and other people – Either they didn't give him the time or they just didn't agree with him and they just didn't want to be involved. And, and, and he made some friends during his travels while launching Bellator. And I think he made some enemies. And I think Frank, from what I understand, were one of those, was one of those guys that he just did not hit it off with. And so Frank and Bjorn, to my knowledge, never really got along. 
I knew Frank because I worked with him when I was at Showtime, and I grew up idolizing Frank. And it was awesome to get to work with Frank as a research assistant on the Showtime and CBS broadcast because Frank, you know, there, there's certain guys you look up to and you meet them, and when you find out who they are and you're around them, it kind of just kills your estimation of them. But Frank was a super cool guy, always treated me well. So I, I, I always liked being around Frank, great guy. And I hate to violate his trust here, but I don't think he's going to mind necessarily. He let me know when we did a show in New Mexico that he had been offered the president's job at Bellator. And I was kind of shocked. And he said that he turned it down and that he wasn't interested in it. But he was kind of surprised that, you know, he was offered that job because they had Bjorn there and he just was under the impression that they were not really fans of Bjorn. But I think a lot of us knew that. Um, and this was a year before Bjorn was actually uh, departed from the organization. So, you know, I, when I heard that from Frank, I, I, I wasn't sure Frank was a hundred being a hundred percent accurate, but I, I, I talked to some people in the industry and they confirmed it was a hundred percent true that, Bellator, uh, that Spike TV was looking, they wanted Bjorn out of there, but before they let him go, they wanted to make sure they had a viable replacement. And Frank was one of several people that they looked at, and Frank actually received an offer. And, if, and Frank said yes, and they had negotiated a, successfully negotiated a deal, he would have been the president of Bellator in all likelihood. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and obviously, as I said, I like what Bellator's doing. I think they're they're doing some good things, and, you know, they're giving you reasons to watch the preliminary cards, and you know, and they're, they're doing their thing. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens. I'll be out in the San Jose area. It'll be interesting. Maybe on Saturday I might run into somebody. You never know. Should I watch my back? Where, where are you going to – wait, hold on. I'll be watch in San Jose. San Jose? I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone would hang out with me. No, I don't I – don't yeah, but uh, you know it's but they've got their card coming up here. It's still crazy, Sam. It's not till November fifth the next UFC show. So for the UFC to make all these layoffs, this was kind of the perfect time for them to do it. It's always sad though when you see people lose their jobs, and it's just uh, you know it's probably hard for a lot of people out there to rationalize in their minds because the company they work for was just sold for four billion dollars and. It's it's a it's a bitter pill for them to swallow. I've been through it. I know what they're going through. It's 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 a tough tough time, and uh, my heart goes out to them. Yeah, it's uh you know obviously a lot of great people are you, you hate to see people uh, lose their job. So uh, Sam, before uh, you get out of here in your last episode, anything else you want to say? Just want to thank you. I want to thank you for for really carrying the the, the workload of this show and, and making it possible for me to even you know do a show without you, Jason. I couldn't have done it. You know, I, I my end of the deal was pretty easy. Just kind of show up for an hour or two every week and just talk. And I appreciate everything that you've done. It's been awesome working with you. It's been an honor. I, I've learned a lot and I've had a lot of fun along the way. And I want to thank all the listeners. You know, we you know, this show has built up a very large audience, not just an influential audience, but a large audience. A lot of people download this show every week. So. Uh, we were aware. We're aware of the numbers. It's not lost on me. Uh, um, I get all the feedback that I've gotten through text messages over the last couple of years, through through Twitter and Facebook, and and all the the positive reviews that we got through iTunes. I just want to thank everyone for investing the time, investing in this show, and just ask that you continue to listen to this show because this format works. 
you know, if Jason's going to do it, you know, Jason's going to do it right. And there's going to be, you know, a, a formula here where each week you hear something that you don't typically hear on other podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll have a bunch of stuff. Be, follow me on Twitter at Jason underscore Floyd. I'll start announcing uh, who, who the co-hosts are going to be. Uh, the, the show may come out on different days of the week. So that's going to go there, Sam. Uh, appreciate every, you know uh, all this time, and I know uh, we'll we'll continue the conversations, and uh, we'll have to get you on as a guest co-host down the line, man. Absolutely. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think when it comes to what you want radio influence has you covered find our programming on itunes stitcher tune in radio and radioinfluence.com